So if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can click to, turn to with me, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Those of you that have been with us through this series know we've been in a series called Happiness is a Serious Problem and how to find happiness in life, how to find joy in life. It seems like in the time and the society in which we live that it seems like people are struggling with that issue of happiness and struggling with that issue if you joy. And so... Fortunately, Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. It was the very first sermon that Jesus would preach. And, and so basically in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is laying out uh, what it looks like to live out the Christian life. And uh, he wouldn't preach this sermon just once, but this was a sermon that he continually preached, he continually taught. And so we've been looking at only the intro. I'm still praying through and trying to decide if we want to continue through the Sermon on the Mount and preach all the way, all the way through that. Matthew 5, 6, and, and 7 is Sermon on the Mount. And so, and so, but we're looking at that. And so this weekend, the title of this message is the last message in this series. There are eight Beatitudes. We've had eight sermons. We've taken one Beatitude. Every weekend, and we've just unpacked it together. And so the title of this message is, is Happiness Through Persecution. And so a lot of the Beatitudes, when you look at this joy and you put it up against like persecution and some of the other things, it's like how in the world can f someone find happiness through that? How can they find happiness through, through persecution and, and suffering and, and some of the other things that we walk through in life? And so this weekend, the title of the message is Happiness Through, through Persecution. And and Jesus begins talking about living out the Christian life, and if you want to live, live a life for him, and if you live a godly life, then there are times that you're going to be persecuted, insulted, lied about, labels, and, and some of those other things. And, and we see that happening now in our society. And so I want to focus on two things in, in, in the few verses that we're looking at this weekend. Uh, Jesus helped us to understand what we should anticipate and then what to remember, that what we should anticipate about the future, and then when we're in that, when we're in the persecution, what should we remember? And so when you look at this, you realize that maybe by the pure definition of persecution, nobody in America is like really being persecuted for their faith. But the truth is, we're being pressured. And we're, we are being pressured, we're being co coerced, not just to accept some things, but to give approval of those things. And we have been pressured, we're being harassed, and, and for some Christians, they're just, their voices are becoming quiet because they're concerned about this issue. What will they be labeled? What will people say about them? And, and what, what, what is going to happen as a result of, the, of them speaking out? And so when you look at this, as, as society gets darker and darker, the pressure and the coercion is, coercion is going gonna, is gonna to increase. And so when you look at this, you realize that, that society, we're not talking about acceptance, but we're talking about approval. That's what society wants. And so we get it as Christ followers and believers that we can accept somebody without approving of their lifestyle, without approving of their decisions and those things. But society is pushing it to the point that it's not acceptance, it's approval. That as a believer that you better give approval to even things that are non-biblical. Give approval to things that speak against Scripture or give approval to things that you disagree with. And so we may not be facing violent persecution, but we are being pressured more and more for our faith and for our beliefs. Uh, we're being pressured to keep our mouth shut and don't speak up, don't say what the Bible says or the Bible teaches. And so Jesus begins talking into this issue because there's a lot of times that Christians feel like, well, I just need to blend in and, and I need to fly in under the, the, the radar. And there's this pressure just to conform. And so, so here's what Jesus talks about 
when you go through those times to where you're either harassed or labeled or made fun of or criticized or insulted, these are the things, and this is how you're able to find joy in the midst of that. So here's what the scripture says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. I'll read all the way through, through uh, verse 12, and then I'll give you a couple of things, what to anticipate about this, especially moving forward, and then what to remember when you're in the midst of that. And so here's what the scripture says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you, when they persecute you, and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they uh, persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus did not say that blessed are you when you're persecuted for any reason. He did not say that blessed are you, that when you're arrogant or prideful or obnoxious or a jerk, uh, the blessed are you. But what he did say, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness. In other words, blessed are you when you're persecuted for right living. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for living a life that God has called you to live or being like Christ. And then Paul writes a lot to Timothy about this subject. And he is mentoring Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor. We're going to read a lot of scripture that Paul wrote to Timothy because I think it applies to us and where we're at. And here's what Paul told Timothy when Timothy was starting out in his ministry. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul writes, he says, In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I mean, that's an imperative. That's a promise that if you're going to live a life like Christ, there's going to be people that misunderstand you. There are going to be people that pressure you. There are going to be people that insult you because of your faith in Christ. And Paul went on to tell Timothy, and you can read it for yourself in, in the second chapter of Timothy, especially in the first verses of, chap, of, of chapter 2 and 2 Timothy, that Paul is helping Timothy to understand that, guess what? When the world gets darker and darker, when society gets darker and darker, and people are deceived, and they begin deceiving others, that is hard to stop. And in that moment, the only thing you can do is live a life like Christ would call you to live and live a life of following him. And in that moment, you will be pressured, you will be talked about, you will be harassed because it's counterculture. It goes against society. It goes against what's going on in our world. So the first thing is this that we just need to understand is, is what to anticipate. And, uh, and so Jesus says, don't be surprised when pressure comes to conform to this world or this pressure comes to, to, to conform to the society or the ways of the world or what the world says that you should approve of is acceptable. And so Jesus made it clear many times in his ministry there's going to be a cost to following him. That's why Jesus told his followers over and over, you better count the cost before you follow me. Because if you're going to live a life, if you're going to live a life, if you're going to live a godly life, there are going to be people that harass you. There are going to be people that persecute you. And fact is, when you look at Scripture, I'm just telling you, when you look at Scripture, one of the signs that you're a follower of Christ is that you're willing to pay the price, that you're willing to follow him, and that you're willing to stand up and say, I, I am a follower of Christ, and as a result of that, that's how I'm going to live my life. Paul goes on and writes into Timothy's life, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, and he says, but you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. So this is in contrast with society of their type. Verse 11. Along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, uh, Lystra, what persecutions I've endured. And yet, look at this, and yet the Lord, the Lord was faithful. The Lord rescued me from them all. 
In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so if, if, if we're honest, we don't like that, right? None of us want to be persecuted. None of us want to go through difficult times. But the Bible says that if you choose, if I choose to live a godly life, stand up for what is right, what the Bible teaches, that there are times that we're going to be pressured. And we're seeing it now in our society. And we're watching this pressure turn up higher and higher and higher just to conform with society, even just to, to conform with their values and to conform with the ways. And so a few things that Jesus highlighted, the first thing that Jesus said is Jesus says, if you're going to live a, a godly life, you will be insulted. Verse 11, here's what he says. He says, for we are blessed when they, for, for you are blessed. When they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. And so that means, and we're seeing it, right? That means when you follow Christ and you live a godly life, they're going to label you. And they're not all the times great labels, right? And so they're going to label you, they're going to isolate you, they're going to ostracize you, they're going to insult you, that you're a well-meaning Christian, or you're not as enlightened as they are, you're not as smart as they are, you're not as advanced as they are. Fact is, when you look at the Greek in that word persecute, it literally means to mock, it means to belittle, it means to disregard, it means to isolate, it means to castigate, it means to, it means to put down. It's one of the serious, most serious words of this issue of persecution are being pressured. And so it's a, it's a vicious word that, that is used. When you, when you realize this, it, it means to destroy someone with your tongue. It means to destroy their character, to destroy their reputation, to destroy them with your tongue. And so when you look at this verse, you realize that there's going to be opposition. And there's going to be oppositions, whether it's at, at, at your place in employment, whether it's in the neighborhood, whether it's in the community, whether it's with your friends, that there, there is going to be a price. And so when you look at this, you realize that, you know what, if I'm honest and someone insults me, it's, it's not going to kill me, right? And if someone puts me down, it's not, it's, not going, it's not going to hurt me. It's not going to physically kill me. It's not going to destroy me. If someone labels me and if someone calls me a name and, and someone ostracizes me, then, then that's, honestly, that's, that's not physically going to hurt me. fact is, it's not going to hurt me unless, unless you need other people's approval to be happy. And that's where it's at. If, listen, if you need other people's approval to be happy, to affirm you, then you will never really stand for Christ. Because all of a sudden, what people say about you and how people affirm you and how people talk about your reputation will mean more to you than anything else. If you live your life for the approval of somebody else, they have the right to control you, and you can never live out your, your Christian values. Great freedom comes, and listen, regardless of where you are in life, this is a struggle for all of us, right? But great freedom comes in our life when we can make a statement and says, I, don't, I do not need somebody else's approval to make me happy. Happiness, what we're learning, is an inside job. Happiness is a choice. Joy is a choice. Spiritual maturity comes. If you're going to live a godly life, spiritual maturity comes when you realize, I don't need the approval of anybody around me to be happy. You know whose approval I need? I need God's approval. I need God to approve of me. But I do not need anybody else's approval because, listen, as a pastor, I've been around people that have tried, especially adults, that are still trying to get the approval of a mom or a dad to feel good about themselves. 
They just want the approval. They just want mom or dad, and they've been working for years. Let me tell you something. If you're an adult and you have not gotten mom's approval yet, chances are you're not going to get it, right? And if you look at this issue, if you're living your life for the approval of someone else, it will destroy you. I will never forget this. It was right after 1995 we'd planted the church here at Fellowship of the Rockies. We reached a man. He, He was unchurched. He was about ready to retire. He had a very su- successful career uh, in the community. I mean, he was, he was in his 60s at that time. He's deceased now. And if, if I told you his name, probably many of you in this room would say, oh, I know that guy. And so we, we led him to the Lord. He came into the church. And so as he was retiring, I just asked him a question. It was one of those private conversations that pastors get to have. And so I looked at him, and I called him by name, and I said, hey, most awesome career you had, you, you have had. I bet, I bet you your career brought you a great, a, a great amount of joy. And he looked at me and says, I hated what I did every day of my life. Every day of my life, when I got in my car and went to the office, I hated, I hated what I did. And so I looked at him shocked because he had everything that, that anybody could ever want. And so I looked at him and says, well, why is that? He said, I never got the approval of my mom. And I thought, if I got this degree, if I went into this profession, if I made this much money, finally my mom would approve of me. Finally my mom would say I'm acceptable. And she never did. She never did. I hate her and I hate what I did for a living. I've wasted my life trying to get her approval that I could never get. Listen, let me tell you something. If, if you're here and you need somebody else's approval to be happy, and I get it, I, at some level we all struggle with that, right? We want people to like us. Uh, I'm even preaching this message and hope you still like me at the end. And so we all, right, we all, if we're honest, at some level we all struggle with that because we're human. But we have to deal with that issue. And so great freedom comes, listen, great freedom comes when we finally come to the place and say, you know what, to be happy... I don't need anybody else's approval because what we've been learning, happiness is a serious problem. Happiness, joy is an inside job. Happiness, joy is, is choice. Fact is, and I know you guys love Texas wisdom because it's so smart and it's so wise, but we raised our kids on this one thought. When our kids would get upset and, you know, like they're having a bad day, we would simply look at our girls and say, hey, you can get glad in the same pants you got mad in. And so maybe you've heard that. In other words, guess what? In the same pants, in the same circumstances, the same situation that you got mad in, you can turn it around. You can turn it, because happiness is a choice. And what Jesus says, when you're insulted and when you're criticized and when you're judged and, and being ridiculed, when you're slighted, congratulations, right? It is confirmation that you're a follower of Christ. If you're persecuted for righteousness, if you're persecuted for following him, what does it say about us if we're never criticized for our faith? What does it say about our faith that we just always blend in so much that we look exactly like the world? We live our lives exactly like the world. We live our lives exactly like society. And that there's no really indication that we're a follower of Christ. And so when you look at this, you realize that you've got to ask yourself, am I blending in? Am I blending in or am I following him? I mean, because this issue of happiness and joy, because one of the things that helps people or helps makes Christianity attractive is this issue of joy in difficult seasons. And so the church for numbers of years have helped believers and help people to understand how to, how to share their faith. 
I think in the times that we live, we need to have another conversation. And we need to have a conversation is how do I make the gospel, how do I make people hungry for Jesus? How do I make people hungry for, 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 for the gospel? And one of the ways that we do that is by living a life that's different. And we display joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. And so if you're a positive person and you're always happy and if you're a positive person, you know this, right? When you come up against a negative person, a lot of times they don't like it, right? A lot of times negative people do not like people that are positive and like people that are optimistic. It could happen in a marriage, right? It could happen in a marriage. If you're a morning person and you're married to like a non-morning person and you're the type of person that you don't even need coffee in the morning, you just wake up and you're happy. You wake up and you're married to someone that needs like several pots of coffee and it may be noon until like they can even be positive. And that can cause some problems. I love the story. It's one of my favorite stories about this lady. And she was telling me, she said, yeah, she says, you know, I'm just that type of person. I'm just always happy. I'm always joyful. I was getting on the nerves of some of my girlfriends. And so my girlfriend looked at me and says, hey, can we ask you a question? Are you like always happy? I mean, are you always happy? Do you ever, do you ever wake up grumpy? And she says, no, I usually just let him sleep. And so, and so there's, there's, some of us, there's some of us that are just naturally happy. But one of the things that we already make Christianity attractive is this issue of just joy in the midst of difficult times that I don't need the approval of anybody else. I need his approval. But here's another thing Jesus said. Jesus said, I hate to tell you this. You're not only going to be insulted, but you're going to be harassed by your faith. Not everybody's going to sign off on it. Uh, verse 11, he says, you're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you. Why? Because, because, of, because of me. When you look at that word persecute, it simply means to pursue or to drive away or to isolate. Because a lot of times that's what happens when society be begins to pressure us. They want to isolate us. They want to castigate us. They want to, they want to drive us away that society and culture would be a much better place. If people weren't talking about the scriptures and if people weren't talking about what the scriptures teach. And when you look at this, you realize that it wasn't uncommon for the, like the first and second century Christians and, uh, to be persecuted for their faith. I've been in Israel several times. We're going again next year. And we've stood in Colosseums, right? I've stood in Colosseums where Christians were martyred for their faith. The, the, you can see the holding rooms where they had hold the Christians, and you could see the rooms where they would hold the, the animals, the lions, or the games, or some of the other things. And we could stand in those, 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 those theaters, if you will. And we could, I mean, it was sombering to just to, or sobering just to, to be there and to, to know what took place. And oh, those Christians, you know the reason that they were martyred for their faith? They wouldn't make one statement, Jesus is Lord. He said, no, Jesus, I'm sorry, Caesar is Lord. They wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. And they would say, no, Jesus is Lord. We're not going to say Caesar is Lord. And so as a result of that, they were martyred for your, their faith. I don't know if you've met anyone that's ever been persecuted for their faith. I've met several, several people. One of the, one of the men's was, men that was just the, one of the most influential in my life was 1993. I went to Beatlestock, Poland. And Beatlestock, Poland is close to the, the Russian border. And so Belarus and some other areas. And so we're in Beatlestock, and, and um, they, wanted to, they wanted to do a church service near the Russian border. And in those days, Christianity was outlawed in Russia. And so we drove over to this small community. We, we did a, a small church service. And so we gave a, a, a time at the end of the service. We couldn't do a prayer response like we did here. And so to accept Christ, we would just have people just 
you know, heads, heads bowed, eyes closed like we did here. And then we'd have people look up and make eye contact with us if they wanted to accept Christ. And then we'd privately get with them later. We're in a service. We're doing that. And so as we're doing that, cameras were going off. You'd see the flash. And someone from the government was there. And they would go persecute the people that just accepted Christ. We went and we met a man in this church. He was 75 years old. And this man had more joy than any man that I'd ever met up until that time. And you know what his ministry was? Smuggling Bibles into Russia. And so this man would take, because Christianity was outlawed in Russia in those days, and this man would take the, his trench coat, he'd cut the lighting out, and he'd put pages of scriptures in there. And he could never smuggle an entire Bible at, 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 a, at a time. He either had to do a book of the Bible, chapters of the Bible, pages of the Bible. In over 40-something years, he was so proud that he, he says, I'd smuggled over 50 Bibles into Russia to the underground church and to feed the underground church with Scripture. 17 times this man was arrested and beaten for his faith. He didn't have any, he didn't have any teeth left in his head, and he, had, he was crippled, and he was beaten for his faith, but he had great joy. When, last time I was in Africa, we, we, we met a pastor. Uh, he is a pastor that is in our network. We're headed back to Africa in, in August, and you guys can pray for us, especially traveling mercies. We're, we're flying Denver to Frankfurt, Frankfurt to Johannesburg, Johannesburg to Bulawayo with everything that's going on, tra on travel um, and multiple airlines. 32 hours of travel is what it takes to get to, uh, to Mimbezi where we're at. And we're in this village. And we meet this pastor that's in the pastor's network. And when he was six or seven years, when he was six or seven years old, all of a sudden the government came in and they took his dad and they drug his dad out of the hut and took his wife and his brothers and sisters with him. And then they, they were trying to force his dad to denounce his faith in Christ and say Jesus isn't the Messiah. And this man refused to do that. So they started torturing him in front of his wife and his kids. And so they took pieces of barbed wire fence, and they had cut the pieces of barbed wire fence off, and they started ripping this man's flesh. He still remembers his dad screaming and, uh, and refusing to deny Christ. They finally made his mom sing worship songs over his father as they were torturing him. His father wouldn't deny Christ, and so they took a plastic soda bottles, the plastic, and they started lighting them, and then they would drop uh, hot plastic, melted plastic, into, the, into his wounds. And he was screaming, but he still refused to deny Christ. And so when the sun came up, they decided that they would make an example of this man for all the villagers of what it, what's going to happen to you if you follow Christ. And so when the sun came up, they got the, all the villagers out of their hut, and then they slit the man's throat in front of his wife, his kids, and the village. And it was at that moment that that man, that little boy at the time, said, I heard the voice of God, and God called me to preach. He said, if I can witness my dad that believes so much, that believes so much, what it means to follow Christ and that Christ is real, that he would give his life, then I'm going to dedicate my life to that. And that man is still serving in Africa today. And so I've seen people, and I get it, I understand. None of us are experiencing right now that kind of persecution in the U.S. But we are being pressured, and we are being forced, and we are being coerced into agree with some things or affirm some things that goes against the teachings of Scripture and the teachings of our faith. Here's another thing that Jesus would say during this time. Jesus says you're going to be lied about. There are going to be people, but because of your faith, they're going to lie about you. They're not only going to label you. They're not only going to try to isolate you. 
but they're going to they're gonna lie about you. Verse 11, it says, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. And because of this, there's a lot of Christians that want to do everything they can to blend in or live their life for the applause of this world because they long for the approval of people. And it may not cost you your life, but if you stand for godliness, if you stand for purity, there are going to be people that harass you, insult you, lie about you, label you, make fun of you. And so the question is, is do you want to stand for what is right? And do you want to stand for him without being judgmental and without being militant and without being obnoxious, but still with love and with grace? What do you want to stand for? See, see, you look at this, and this is just one of the verses that just means so much to me. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. Paul is instructing Timothy, and here's what he tells Timothy. He said, Timothy, but reject foolish and ignorant disputes, because you know that, that, that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. That is underlined in my Bible. That is highlighted. That may be one of the, one of the commands that is, is sometimes in life, in these, these conversations, it's just difficult to navigate through. But instead of fighting, instead of quarreling, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness... Because God will grant them the repentance, uh, perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them uh, to the knowledge of truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So, so when you look at this, the scripture says, if you're a servant of Christ, we must not quarrel. On Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on social media platforms, at the office, we must not quarrel. I didn't say that. God said that. It's so clearly in Scripture. Because when you look at that, you realize we're human, and there's some people we'd like to quarrel with, right? But listen, you are only in control of your emotions, and you are only in control of your life. You can't change anybody else's mind, and you can't change their decision. You can only change yours. And one of the ways that we make Christianity like, like attractive is the way that we handle those who are our opponents, those who oppose us. And he talks about this issue of patience and gentleness and kindness and some of those other things. 1 Peter 2.23 says, and speaking of Jesus, and he used Jesus as an example, when Jesus was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Aren't you glad God judges justly? And he entrusted him. He understood that, guess what? God judges justly, and as a result of that, he is the one that approves of me. And he is the one that I live for. And so because of that, I'm not going to retaliate. I mean, I'm not going to try to get even. I'm not going to return insult for insult. I'm going to try to instruct with gentleness and with patience, hoping that, that something happens in their life and what the Scripture says, that they come to their sentence. Because here's the issue. Whenever you react to, a, to an angry person, do you realize you give up control? Do you realize that whenever you and I react to an angry person, you give them now control of your life? You give them now control of, of your emotions? You give them control of, of your decisions? Because you can look at statistics and you can find statistics for yourself that when people get to that heightened level of, of anger, the logical thinking is out the window. 
It's hard to reason with someone who's lost their temper. It's hard to reason with someone who is really angry. And so when you respond to someone who is angry, you have given up control. And you don't want to give up control because you can't control what other people do and you can't control the decisions of other people. But you can, you can come to the place to where you remain in control. And so here's what I do. And I don't know if this helps you, but I'm going to relate this to this and then I'm going to give you an illustration in marriage as well. But here's what I assume with the other person, even if there's opponent, even if they're angry at me at something that I preach, something that I've said, a decision that I've made, I always assume of that other person positive intent. And sometimes it's hard to do. I always assume positive intent. And the way that I do that, I just kind of reframe it. And I say, you know what? To the very best of their ability, they're trying to live out their theology, even though I disagree with it. To the very best of their ability, they're trying to live out their values because it is not about me. It, it, it is not about me. Because, listen, if you live a life and you believe that everybody's intent is to harm you, to abuse you, to hurt you, you will never have happiness. You will never have joy. You will never have peace because you know what? You've come to the place. You've allowed society to move you to the place that you think everybody is out to get you and everybody is out to hurt you. This is a huge principle. This is a huge principle in Scripture. And just recently I was listening, and this is for marriage, but just recently I was listening to a podcast by like a hero of mine, Dr. Jimmy Draper. He preached his first message when he was like 14 years old. He's had an unbelievable ministry. He's 89 years old, still married, married almost 70 years. And so in an interview uh, with Dr. Draper, they asked him a question because everybody said he had an unbelievable marriage. And so they said, so how did you and your wife have a great marriage? He said, oh, it's easy, positive intent. He said, I always believed she had positive intent. Even when she said something that hurt me, I always in my mind believe I just misunderstood her and she didn't mean it that way. And I'd always ask for clarification. I came to the place that I was, you know, for me, that I was going to believe the best in others. The last thing is this, is what to remember. Not only what to anticipate, but what to remember. Verse 12, Matthew chapter 5, it says, Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And James gives this wisdom about your life. James chapter 4, verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring and what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanish, vanishes. And so the point is of Jesus in the, in the teachings of James is great as your reward. And no matter, listen, no matter what you do in life, and I've really learned this through COVID, no matter what you do in life, somebody's going to be upset, right? No matter what decision you make, no matter what you do in life, someone's going to be mad. You cannot, listen, you cannot make everybody happy. You will wear yourself out. You will not be a happy person. You will not be a joyful person if you're trying to make everybody happy in your life because guess what? That is impossible. And you cannot make everybody, you cannot make everybody like you. So if you're, if you're going to suffer, if you're going to have people malign you, if you're going to have people oppose you, if you're going to have people disapprove of you, you might as well have them disapprove of you for doing the right thing, for making the right decisions. Because great, great, great is your reward. I mean, there are things that we anticipate, but in the midst of it, there are things that as believers especially in the times and society in which we live. 
that we have got to remember, guess what? We are not of this world. We are not of this world. And great is our reward. And here's the last thing. You've got to remember that great is your company. Now, great is your company. Jesus reminded them, Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. And then here's the second principle. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I could go through so many Old Testament prophets and tell you what happened to them and how their ministry ended up. Zechariah, Zechariah in the Old Testament, he was faithful. Zechariah was faithful. And you know what happened to him? They stoned him. They stoned him to death. They put him to death. When you look at the life of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was this guy that faithfully preached the word of God in his community. He never had one convert. The church never really grew. And the society continually abused him, and they beat him. They threw him in prison. They, they made mockery of him. Isaiah. Most of the messianic prophecies, the prophecies about Jesus came out of the writings of Isaiah. You know what his own people did to Isaiah? Isaiah faithfully followed God. You know what his own people did? The group of people that he had married and buried and he had pastored and he had been in their homes and been in hospitals and, and counseled with them and prayed for them. You know what they did at the end of his life? They got so upset over something that he said that they took him and they stuffed him in a log and they sawed the log in half to end his life. James says, Jesus says, our life, we're bulletproof until God is done with you. We, are, we can live invincible lives until God is done with us regardless, regardless of what we walk through, regardless of what we go through. Ephesians talks about our life is like hidden in Christ. And it's living a life of grace. It's living a life of forgiveness. Here's the interesting thing, and I'll close with this thought, but here's the interesting thing. Verse 3, when we started this journey off together, Jesus says, for theirs, for yours, is the kingdom of heaven. And it's like bookends, verse 11, he comes back to that and says, for theirs is the, it's the kingdom of heaven. And God wanted to remind you that you are not of this world. You're of a different kingdom. You're of a different kingdom. Your allegiance is to a different God. Him. Not the God of this world. That's why the first Christians were persecuted. Because they would not say Caesar is Lord. So great. Great is your reward.